Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Almost Human, Episodes 1 and 8. In 2048, science and technology evolve at an uncontrollable pace. Unknown drugs and weapons flood our streets and schools. The contraband is controlled and distributed by violent, faceless, criminal organizations. And the crime rate rises an astounding 400%. Outnumbered and overwhelmed, law enforcement implements a new strategy. Every police officer is partnered with an advanced combat model android. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that revisits forgotten and little-seen science fiction TV series. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Well, I think we should take our offline argument online about what we're calling these episodes. Because by the time this actually airs, someone will have won the argument as to whether we're calling this 1 and 8 or 1 and 2. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, how about we introduce the series and we can uh, talk a bit about why we're about to have this argument about episode titles (laughs) or numbering. No, no. I want to argue first and then have people figure it out as it goes, like a nice mystery. A nice mystery. They know it's called Almost Human. They know that's what we're watching. But first, we're going to argue about numbers for 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, um, this new series we're going to get into starting this week, it's our most contemporary series so far. It aired from uh, 2013 to 2014. And it is a show called Almost Human starring Carl Urban, a, uh, a future cops and android show. And Carl Urban, who I think was one of our picks for, um, weirdly, if, if, if like a J.J. Abrams redid, I think it was Techor, wasn't it? And we picked him as the lead? You know what? I thought the same thing, but it wasn't. I think he might have been our pick for something else because oh. I think I could be wrong. I didn't go back and listen to the episode. For some reason, I thought maybe we picked Chris Pine, but maybe it was Carl Urban. I just remember he was one of the options, and I thought, how funny is that, that now he's the lead in the show? I mean, it's not, it's not ha-ha funny, but... What a coincidence. Yeah, it's a, it's a humorous coincidence. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, kind of a newer show. We haven't really done anything from this era, and it's interesting because it's really has only... It was four years ago. It wasn't that old. No, and it doesn't feel old. Like, the, the special effects, I mean, we'll talk about them, but they're really, really good for TV. Yeah, it's a very a very whiz-bang show. Now, Jordan, maybe you can speak a little about this, because this is kind of uh, a pick you had in mind. Is there some reason you wanted to get into Almost Human? It was a show that I hadn't watched before, and I remember when I first heard about it, I guess, you know, it was the upcoming show, or one of the upcoming shows for the season, and I remember thinking, oh, that, that looks fun, I'm going to watch it. And then for whatever reason, I just never did, so... It's just a personal like, oh, I'd like to see this show, see if it was any good. And I know it, it kind of came and went before I had a chance to to catch on. Fair enough. Uh, on my side, actually, I did watch it when it aired. So it's been a little while, and I don't know if I remember it all that well. But uh, I mean, I don't know if this is damning or not, but I really have few, if any, memories of it. So right. I don't remember disliking it, but I literally haven't thought about it since the day I didn't watch it anymore. <laughs> Like, you, you haven't been in your basement making almost human t-shirts for yourself and and uh, uh, making your little laser for your cosplay, that sort of thing. 
No, not so far, but maybe the second time around, I'll mm-hmm. uh, really, I'll really click in, and it's going to be my new, my new martyrdom question. This show, just on some really basic Google searching, does have still have a pretty strong fandom behind it. Like, there's a lot of uh, the usual stuff you'd kind of see, as opposed to you know, like the previous series we did, which was Galactica 1980, where like no one remembers that. Well, I mean, this leads into maybe our uh, conversation slash uh, debate we're about to have, but I didn't remember much about it until you were kind of doing some initial research on the show and mentioned that when it originally aired, the way Fox chose to air them was out of order to what the showrunner wanted to air them as. So his continuity was slightly off as a result. And I did remember as soon as you said that, that that was the one thing that stuck with me from the show is that character relationships would shift quite dramatically between episodes because quite obviously they were aired quite out of order. So you were very nice to me because you had already watched the first two episodes, which would have been actually not the first two episodes that the creative would have wanted. And you agreed to watch them in the order the creative would have, creator would have chose. But as a result, that like kind of puts the episodes a little wonky as far as like the episode numbers. Yeah, so the well that was our <laughs> that was Luke and uh my initial uh not argument, little uh, conversation was do we watch these in the order they aired or do we w- watch these in the order the creative team behind it intended? So after uh much wrestling back and forth, uh Luke won that argument and we're going to uh, watch it in the order intended. It does seem to be a major point of contention though, and the very little I've looked so far into fandom, almost always it's brought up like Fox screwed them. If it was in the original order, it would still be on and all this. Now, I don't know if that's true. We'll probably have a better sense as we get through the series. I have a feeling from what I've seen, and I know I've watched three episodes, so I've watched one that's, I don't know, episode five or six down the line, which was the aired second episode. There is some light, like narrative uh, uh, connections here, but I don't know if this is like a true you know, every episode's continuing the same storyline. Like, I don't know if it's that fair to to criticize the the network that much, but I mean, we'll see. It's uh, it's a good question. I I just felt like if I was going to watch this whole series again, I might as well watch them in a different order this time. Since I since I watched them in the mismatch order the first time, maybe this time around it'll be a little bit different. I, I did notice though, um, there is a couple lines and a couple things where I said, oh, I can see why this, which was the aired episode eight. Um, why this actually should have been the second episode. Because the one I had watched, too, I think was, I don't know what it was, four or five. Like, the relationship has changed between the two partners and stuff at that point. So I I, I can see the arguments, but it'll be a, a longer little storyline here for us to see if there's a, a big difference in uh, these episodes airing. Now, that wasn't the debate we were going to have about what we are going to do with this show, though. That's true. The, the debate is, <laughs> well, what, what do we actually call these episodes? I think... My, my side, the correct side, is we just call them 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Luke wants to go in some insane numbering and call them 1, 8, 6, 10, 2, 3, 4, 5. But I don't know. Luke, who's, who's going to win this? What's it going to say at the end? Well, I mean, we are watching them in the creator's order, but IMDb has them in the air order. Like, the digital platforms which are streaming it have them in the air order. So technically... The episodes, I think, canonically, canonically, right? In the world of the, you know, that humans live in, are in a very wonky order if we watch them, right? With the creator order, for instance, when I have to do the episode two today, I'm going to read a summary for episode eight of IMDb, 
So the right. question just remains, do I call these online episodes one and eight, or do I call them one and two? And I don't know if we're going to get to the bottom of this during the podcast, but <laughs> we'll see. You'll find out, listener, when you uh, listen to this, whether we decided to go one way or the other. What we should do is we should have a, a little a little extra bonus episode. It's just you and I arguing, yelling at each other, For calling each hours. other names. You know, I mean, Jordan, you're not wrong. For clarity, it would make sense just to call it one and two. But I, there's something I find uh, perversely entertaining about calling a going through a series where the episodes are going to be one and eight, seven and five, three and four. Right. Well, wh- whatever, really. You know, they're bigger fish to fry. That's my kind of comedy, Jordan. All right. Well, we're not going to settle this now. So maybe we should just get into uh, a little more about the history that was going on in the world when this show aired. Okay, yeah, what was happening a couple of years ago? Sure. Yeah, yeah, four years ago, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, I only have two things here, because I thought they were kind of fun and a little bit science-y, science fiction-y, is on November 5th, which is, uh, I think, just before the show started, India launched a space probe that went to orbit Mars, and then uh, a few weeks later, in December, China landed a robotic rover on the moon. Huh. There's a lot of crap on the moon now, huh? Yeah, very, uh, very spacey stuff going on for this show, I guess. It's like nineteen, the 1960s all again. People are excited about space. Just not in uh, North America. China and India, America. though, really they, excited. Right. <laughs> they got it going on over there. That's the slogan, isn't it, for one of those two countries? We've got it going on over here? Well, that's the big space race, right, between China and India now? Sure. I have as much invested that in as I do in this, uh, the, the number argument. <laughs> okay, well, Jordan... You ready for the IMDb summary for Almost Human Episode 1? Pilot. Can't wait. Pilot. A part machine cop must pair with a part human robot as they fight crime and investigate a deeper cover-up in a futuristic new world. That summary was courtesy of Gilo underscore Kim. Would you say, uh, uh, Gilo, that it really is a new futuristic world? I really liked, because I hadn't considered this about the show, but part machine cop and a part human robot. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. They've basically taken RoboCop and just uh, split him up a little bit. What if RoboCop were two people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always That's what they should have done for the sequel for RoboCop instead of taking that drug dealer's brain and put it into a robot. Remember that? I don't. I never saw the sequel. Yeah, that's the plot. Why would you put a drug dealer's brain into a robot? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they make that the new cop, the new RoboCop. So you'd so it'd be a better drug dealer? No, you know what happens? The robot's addicted to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. That's the plot to RoboCop That's 2. the plot to RoboCop 2? Yeah. What yeah. if a robot could get addicted to drugs? I probably haven't watched it since like 1990 or so. So I, I, I only vaguely remember it. I just remember being a kid being like, that's stupid. I mean, maybe it's a dark allegory about like babies who are born addicted to heroin. I think you're giving it much too much credit. Anyways, that's not why you called. We're here but almost human. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it doesn't start... With the most, like, auspicious beginning. It kind of has a title card which really attempts to explain the show to us. But it's it's more of a confusing explanation than it is, like, a great explanation. Yeah, do you think this was done as a sort of time saver? Because it doesn't really set up the world I think they think it does. I think this is more of those things the network just asks for when you start something that's a little too grand. Because it kind of tells you, it's like... It's got to be 30 seconds to a minute of just like title cards, title card reading to you what's happening. And it talks about how in the future there are all these unknown drugs and weapons. Uh, I kind of like the idea that like there's just 
magical weapons appearing from nowhere that no one knows what they are, but yeah. that's not what it means. But <laughs> And that, like, you know, there are violent, faceless criminal organizations and that crime has risen by 400% and that cops have to be partnered with android partners in this future world. They basically just want to get it, us into it real quick. And, and the basic idea is things have gone bad real quick. And as a result, police officers have really upped their game in terms of their weapons and their technology to fight crime. That's basically what you need to know. I will say, though, in this in this opening line, that one line about uh, the, all these violent, faceless criminal organizations that now exist, like kind of mysterious criminal organizations, I immediately thought about tech lords, the faceless criminal organizations from tech war. And we'll probably talk about this more as we watch the show. I think this show is what an updated tech war would be. Oh, it is so similar to tech war. It's eerie. Um, and I'll start with this. This show takes place in 2048. Tech War took place in 2045. So not only are these shows very similar in a lot of ways, but they also take place at the same time. I'd be surprised if the creator was aware of all the coincidences. But man, oh man, I can't help but think about how this is basically an updated tech lore. And I love it as a result. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. It's it. There's so many things. Anyways, let's get into it. We can we could go on about that forever. Well, it starts off with our new Jake Cardigan, Detective John Kennix, played by Carl Urban. And and in a lot of ways, he's similar to uh, Jake Cardigan. He's in a big shootout with uh, one of these faceless criminal organizations, the Syndicate at the start. He's like attempting some sort of raid on their organization. But I guess what we'll come to learn is this raid he's attempted has been compromised and essentially goes bad. We get a kind of get a scene of Kennix, and he, you can tell how he treats the these these robot officers he works with, the MX units, which are kind of uh, pretty emotionless robots. They're like all statistics and probability, and he he really has no respect for them. He basically uses them as human shields. The feeling early on, though, is that they they are there to counter the emotions of humans. They're like having you know a like what you think a robot would be like oh there's a chance i could get shot so i can't go over there and then he's like no i'm a renegade so you know together they make real good team right and i mean since this raid has gone bad there's an injured officer he's trying to get to he he makes two of the robots walk in front of them and just like take a whole bunch of bullets so he can get to his injured comrade and one of the robots just tells him it's like it's a hopeless cause his like arteries are severed he's gonna die no matter what but kenick's needs to help his partner so as he's as he's walking him out of the firefight probably one of the best early effects of the show happens is something shoots into his leg yeah and then his leg just explodes yeah that's it his leg's gone Kenix loses his leg much like a mcqueen from space bum beyond early on in this episode yeah i wrote he got mcqueened (laughs) and uh they throw a grenade at him and as the grenade explodes, we sort of pull back and realize that this whole thing has been a bit of a flashback. Mm-hmm. He's actually in a sort of underground illegal medical doctor's office. Um, uh, did you catch what this this medical doctor's profession is? Oh, it, isn't it like a scrubbed or scrubber or something like that? This guy's a recollectionist. Oh, I wonder if that's a you, you have to get a degree in that. I don't know. Uh, this guy doesn't have one because he uh, does it in a weird part of town where right. you get illegal medical procedures well yeah i guess i guess it's it's part of that uh the crime that's happening in the city you know even you can even get your medical procedures out on the in the black market essentially kennix after this failed raid has been in a coma for 17 months and he's been basically going to this recollectionist because he's trying to 
dredge up the memories from this attack to attempt to figure out who was behind the attack. Like, he can't make out their faces within this flashback, and he he's trying to do that. He's trying to see who causes to happen because he knows someone was uh, kind of an inside man or something happened that caused the raid to go wrong. Don't you think, though, as a detective, he can start using some other methods than just constantly trying to go back to his memories? It's like, I don't know, go do some research. Go do some detective work, and maybe you can figure stuff out. It is funny because I also was just like, well, I mean, if you saw their faces, you would know who they were, would you? Like, just these random grunts on the ground. But, I mean, I guess we'll reveal it now since it gets revealed midway through. He keeps having these flashbacks or visiting this recollectionist. But he used to have a girlfriend who disappeared while he was in his coma. And halfway, about halfway through the episode, he'll finally go to the recollectionist and it'll sort of reveal to him that one of the people involved in this raid is this ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. Anna, who who is who I guess was a double agent who was always working against him for the syndicate. So I guess what it is is maybe his detective's intuition told him he remembered something, but it, it's it's a weird setup that doesn't quite click into place. But and, and I wasn't sure if they were going to be setting up that this was sort of like his story arc was trying to find this this girl because, you know, as, as we mentioned previously, I had watched what had aired as the second episode which is like the fifth or sixth episode and by that point there's no mention of it at all so i thought they're just gonna let that kind of storyline drop but i think it it will probably be in a bit of an undercurrent through the series yeah i think so too it's definitely a setup for the core of like who betrayed him and why do you care though i mean it's i don't i don't not care i i'm curious as to what's going on with the syndicate and I do question, like, if your girlfriend went missing when you went to a coma for 17 months, wouldn't you be suspicious about what happened to her? I don't know if you'd need to remember that she attacked you. She'd be, you'd be curious as to where she went. And I would do some real detective work. I mean, would you? if you were Kenix, you would. If I was, yeah, as, as me, no, I, w- I would just kind of just sit and I just sit and just go back to work. Yeah, I go back to work and just stare into the void that is the blackness of my life. Go some physical therapy, try to deal with the pain you're in, the constant pain. Yeah, well, I'd be dealing with that robot leg. He's not hes not taking advantage of that enough. He should be kicking balls all over the place. It is true. Uh, in this 17-month-later future, he's been given this very cool robot leg yeah. that uh, won't calibrate with his body for some reason. They imply that he's not... It, it takes a long time for your body to not reject the mechanical attachment, and he's not giving it the time because he's, cause he's that guy who's like, I don't have time for this. I gotta go be a badass. He doesn't, he doesn't love uh, robots, so he doesn't enjoy having a robot leg attached to him. Oh, can I mention one thing? When he, uh, after he goes and gets his memories, he takes some pain pills, and it's the tiniest pills I've ever seen. It's true. His little pain medications are, like, smaller than a Tic Tac. Yeah, I'm just like, holy moly, that, that's one thing that's happened in the future, too. Pain medication's gotten very small. I mean, the future is pretty exciting on this show. It's pretty kinetic. It's pretty alive. The, the city looks more or less like a Blade Runner. Yeah, and that's everyone's comment. I mean, uh, it's a longer conversation, but this thing looks like it's it's borrowed. We'll use the word borrowed from all of the science fiction you like. They're like, let's just throw it in there, and that's what this is going to look like. Like he's eating noodles in a uh, Asian inspired town that's always raining, neon lit. Yeah, with neon lit. Like it's it, it looks exactly like Blade Runner. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to fault it at this point. Like, that's what cyberpunk is now. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to borrow. And it's funny, he drives a very cool future car, but it's not self-driving, which I was surprised by. No, yeah, and there's actually quite a few driving scenes in this show, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of going back and forth. 
I'll mention it now since it's uh, very funny to me, but there was a very brief moment in one of these driving scenes because, you know, they're cops. They got to go from place to place. But you get a shot of him coming through a tunnel and the tunnel's covered in advertisements like digital flashing advertisements. Yeah. Do you remember the adways from Tech War? I do. I, it's the same. So that it's there's exactly there's, the you same. You know what we should do? Let's let's have a scorecard. Okay. So here's a couple things. One, the main character is pretty much an updated Jake Cardigan. Now, I don't mean that to be insulting. There's some positives and negatives of that, but he's essentially the same character written a little bit better. I mean, it's tough. All these science fiction shows basically have a Jake Cardigan, so it's hard for them not to be like it's. He's a he's a rough guy cop. They're all rough yeah. guy cops. Yeah, but he's 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 a bit of a guy who like he does he, he does things his own way, and that's why he's so effective. Yeah, right. So that's one, two ad ways. So we've got two things that are very much like tech war, faceless criminal organizations. All right, three. Oh, and 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 twenty and twenty. It's in the twenty late twenty forties. So that's four. Four four points on the tech war board. Yeah. But anyway, he, he's getting back to work. Essentially, he's been off for this time. He's been in the coma and recovering. But his uh, captain, Sandra uh, Maldonado, played by Lily Taylor, which is great casting. Yeah, she's a really good actress in a sort of somewhat nagging mom role. I don't think she has the best scene so far, but maybe I think they'll probably have an episode where she gets to do a little something more. She's at least interesting. She's not kind of a captain who's complaining all the time. She's brought him back specifically. Like the psych psychologists have said not to bring him back to work because he's too damaged. But she knows that raid went wrong because there's a mole in the department somewhere and she needs someone she can trust and she needs him. Yes, he's a loose cannon like all future cops, but she she seems to trust him in a way and like think he has something. So she may be a bit of a nagging mom i guess but like at least she's not the detect the captain who's always like you're you're a loose cannon out there like she's brought him back to be a loose cannon right but uh what i do like though is she's like you're the only one i trust and i was like oh man that's been a rough 17 months for you then if you've had no one to trust that whole time it is funny the idea that in 17 months no one's got any closer to what's been happening here and the only one who can solve it is him well and there you are i mean when there's a mole in the department what are you gonna do have we mentioned yet that all the computer screens are, they're just like digital projections up in, there's no more screens anymore in the future, just so you know. Everyone just touches the, touches the air. That's true. There, you can get a screen anywhere you want. You don't even have to have a phone anymore. You just hold up your hand and a screen will appear. Yeah. And it all looked pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's the idea that this future is just all floating in the air. Everything's in the cloud now. Even the, the police tape at several times, the police tape's a digital projection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man, the VFX companies on the show must have had a field day. Yeah, exactly. At the police precinct, there are sort of two other regulars we'll meet who don't really come into play much in these first few episodes. But there's uh, Grouchy, longtime cop, Detective Richard Paul. Yeah. Who's mostly there just to be like, not trust Kennex and to kind of like, blame him for the failed raid. I guess he's there for you not to like, but I guess we'll he'll have some sort of charm as we go. And then there's the rookie detective slash love interest for Kennex, Detective Valerie Stahl. And can we mention this right now that what, what is her, what's her, um, she says she's something. I believe, uh, I believe it's a chrome. Oh, is that what she says? I'd have to look it up. I, I In the next episode, they talk a bit about this. And I only know that because I saw it uh, written somewhere down. I think it's called a chrome, but she's essentially a rich kid whose parents like paid to have her genetically upgraded so she's she's superior to sort of everyone around her she's like more beautiful and smarter and like quicker than everybody and and she's basically uh the update of nika she's she's in the office she's on the computer 
and they call in and she looks stuff up for them that's it's like, true so far and and i don't think she's the strongest actress but also she's given there's no like enjoyable scene she's the scene in like any of those shows where they're like we need to uh, analyze do some analysis and they type on a computer and like yeah i see the guy running away that's that's, uh, that's all she does in the last, in that two episodes absolutely whenever they need information they call her and she finds the information for them and i mean the other cop is just there to be uh the grouchy cop who doesn't trust their hero like they're yeah. just they're right at this point they're they basically fill spots in a plot machine yeah Kenix needs a love interest. It's this lady. Why? I don't know. She's there. They're both attractive. So that's it. Why wouldn't they be in love? Yeah, why wouldn't they be in love? <laughs> and since he's back and it's the it's the rule of the day, Kenix gets paired with an emotionless MX partner. Just a just a robot who's got a real blank face and uh what a what a job for these extras. I mean, basically background pillars. There's there's just all these cops who are robots who just sort of have these blank faces who just stand around in these crazy helmets. I am impressed, though. They found enough people who kind of have a very similar facial structure. There's actually three actors who do it. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's uh, you'll you'll start noticing the same three faces. And basically what it is is there's three MX models. There's the the kind of very blank looking, um, almost like Norwegian white guy. You got your somewhat Asian guy and your somewhat black guy. And that's your three versions. I liked having the variation. It wasn't just a single one. At least there yeah, was I some agree. variation to their faces. Uh, it was it was a nice touch, actually. Because at first I was like, are these all going to be the same actor? I'm like, oh, no, they've got a few actors, yeah. but they all have a very similar facial structure. So they look the similar, but not the same. Yeah, and I, th- I thought it looked good. And, and it was like, uh, you can, they give the feeling that the world is, uh, at least the world of this police department is populated with them. Like you just keep seeing the same faces pop up. Yeah, yeah, it, it works well, actually. At any rate, Kenix gets his first assignment when he's back. There's been a uh, armored car robbery from a biotech company. Essentially, uh, some programmable DNA was stolen from this armored car, and uh, the thieves used a biopulse charge, something like that. I'm trying okay. to remember what it was, but it's it's uh, a technique that's mostly used by the syndicate. So they're putting Kenix back on the job to figure out, you know, was it the syndicate who took this? programmable dna it's it's a bit of a case of the week sort of idea it was the least interesting part of the show for me i was like i don't really care about this i just want to like meet the characters and find out about the world the actual plot of this episode i thought was like meh well i don't i mean i'll agree with you that it's 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 actually very minimal this plot and it's mostly there i think because it's a pilot episode and there's so much setup you need to do and get right. ready for they really just give us a very simple case that really has nothing to solve exactly it's kind of just unravels itself i think that's just more what we've seen with pilots is it's better to keep the plot to a minimum and keep the introductions to a maximum right well he's well they're kind of checking out this uh armored car heist like crime scene kenix kind of has a, a, a mild flashback i guess as a result of doing this illegal recollectionist stuff it causes him to sort of have this like ptsd flashback while he's at the crime scene as they're driving away from the crime scene, his MX unit can't help but have noticed that he seemed to have a petite mall seizure while they're at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. It's funny that no one else noticed but his robot. Like, I guess it was a very subtle one. Yeah, well, it was petite. It was petite. And uh, the robot mentions that uh, in his database, he he went through another MX's database and noticed that Kenix was noticed in an illegal medical part of town the night before. And he's like, I have a bet that you were hanging out there because... 
you know, you, you've been doing some illegal medical procedures. Basically, his MX unit is like doing a ton of detective work based on like all the other MX units, which is, I thought, a funny idea that this detective is, this robot detective is actually pretty good at its job. I actually didn't see this coming out. I thought it was a pretty fun moment. So what basically happens is he's like, you're not going to report me. And the guy's like, I will report you. And then he just really quickly kicks the robot out of the car and it flies into traffic and gets destroyed by a truck. And it happens like in the, sp- yeah, like in it's, an it's like, as soon as the robot says, I'm reporting you, which you think he could just upload it digitally, but the robot's not fast enough because Kenix kicks him literally out of the car mid drive on a highway. And it's great. Like the robot is destroyed. Yeah. And I was just like, you can do that. And I just knew, I just knew the next scene was going to be one of those, uh, where he goes up to the, <laughs> his boss and like, give me your badge and your gun. But it wasn't quite that, but it's very uh, funny actually. Cause there are. Practically no consequences for destroying one of these MX units. Well, that well that was the thing. Like they kind of play with it a little bit. I think later on, and Luke, you can correct me, but I think really quickly he goes and picks his own model, um, which is an older model, and that's who he wants. And blah blah. We'll get into that. But later on, his boss is like, uh, doesn't she mention that she wanted him to have the older? Well, model? Well, that's what happens here. Is after he basically kills his partner question mark i mean i guess they're just disposable so it's fine he he, he mentions many times the next two episodes that they're just disposable to him and he doesn't he, care yeah uh, he's what what's the word intolerant of robot cops they don't have souls he goes to visit this uh basically police tech support this guy named rudy lom mm-hmm. played by Mackenzie crook yeah from the uk office and uh, parts of the caribbean yeah very good actor yeah he's very fun and he's fun in this role actually a bit of a he, pl- he plays like a q yeah, he's very nebbish, and he, he deals with all their tech support, basically. There's only one new robot partner currently available, so they have to pull out a decommissioned uh, android from a, the DRN series. And what's special about the DRN series, Jordan? Uh, I think he says at one point, like, he's built to feel. It was something like that that made me laugh. He's got a uh, he's got software called Synthetic Soul, it's uh, emotive regulations have made this model, though, a little bit emotionally unstable. Yeah. So the idea was he was, as the title says, he's almost human. He was they found he was too close to humans. Uh, and what they want more from their robots is to be that sort of more cold, analytical um, decision maker. And uh, so that's why his model was decommissioned. However, you'll find he is a pretty good detective. Apparently, he's about to be sent away to some sort of station to, like, do repairs or stuff. Like, he was kind of just being decommissioned and didn't have much value other than his parts anymore. Have we mentioned that they call them synthetics? Well, they, that's true. They do call them synthetics, though. DRN, or Dorian, as his character is going to be called. Yeah. He, he finds that term derogatory. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, synthetics is a bad term. But uh, what did they call in uh, um, uh, Space War? Above Beyond? What did they call the robots in that? I have to go back and look because I was trying to remember what they called the robots in Tech War. They had a they had, it was a derogatory term there. There's a derogatory term in Space Above and Beyond. Yeah, I was I actually found that the derogatory term synthetics was actually fairly mundane considering some of the slang we've heard so far in other shows. Yeah. But he basically is an update of uh, that guy in in Tech War. What was that that guy with the weird forehead robot? Remember that guy? Yeah, yeah, the the synthetic cop in in Tech War. Yeah. In a bit, a bit, a bit like that. He's a bit of a better cop. I guess he's been offline for four years and eight months. Much much like Kenix himself, Dorian has been uh, away from the world for a while. And it really kicks them off as they're going to be a real odd couple. Uh, Kenix does not like synthetics. And uh, poor Dorian's just trying to, trying to stay in this world. He doesn't want to get shipped off and decommissioned. Yeah, why are they fighting? Why are they both riding? 
There's a cute scene early on where Kenix tries to turn him off and says, synthetic off, and uh, Dorian turns to him and says, are you trying to tell me to be quiet? Yeah, they have a lot of actually pretty fun little uh, scenes and moments that they pepper through the show um, that kind of slowly kind of build their character. I actually think it was one of the things they did better in this show was they have they kind of spread these little scene these little like personal moments throughout the show very well and uh as opposed to like just really unloading everything at once they like they're they kind of give their time to have these two build their relationship to their credit too these two actors have a great deal of chemistry together like it works you feel like there's some fun to be had with these two characters because they there's a back and forth between the two two actors yeah but that basically sets us up we now kind of have all our core characters our two partners are put together this odd couple of a robot and a human who hates robots who's got a robot leg half human what was it part part robot human part human robot yeah that was it I was a little disappointed you never really get to see the leg too much. There's a couple funny scenes, but you, you really see it when it gets put it on, and then they're always like, don't worry, it's under that pant leg. Don't worry, it's down there. Occasionally, it complains about not being calibrated right. He still won't He still won't do his update, no matter how many times they, they warn him. But now that he has his new partner, he gets back to the case at hand, and one of the syndicate thieves who robbed this truck was injured during the heist. So uh, Kenix and Dorian go to in- interrogate him. Now, of course, Kenix, he has a, he has a pretty... Uh, old school method of interrogation <laughs> yeah which is just beating the guy up that's his method yeah uh dorian doesn't exactly approve about this uh, civil rights violation but since dorian is actually a pretty good detective i guess he's looking through the medical notes from this injured uh, criminal and sees that he took one gunshot and it appears from what he sees to be a self-inflicted wound he basically is able to uh yeah figure out that based on the angle the shot and blah 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 that the guy shot himself which leads them to believe that you know, his story doesn't add up. And as soon as basically Dorian pulls this bit of information out, the uh, criminal immediately folds and kind of explains that he wanted to get out of the syndicate. He shot himself because there are dangerous people there and there's really no way out. So he agrees to get... Oh, oh man, I forgot a huge part of this plot. What's that? I skipped over it. Is the reason they're interrogating this guy is because between commercial breaks, the syndicate has kidnapped a cop. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Well, yeah. Well, we can go to real quick. The, the what happens is one of the cops that they I think you meet really briefly. The only part I really liked is he gets shot in the face by what looks like a balloon gun, and it just stretches this rubber against the guy's face in the tightest way ever. And I remember thinking, there's no way he's gonna be able to breathe through that. Yeah, essentially, he's going out to get coffee. His MX unit gets shot and records the whole thing, but. Yeah, the syndicate, for some reason, decides they need to kidnap this cop. And yeah, they shoot him with this cool balloon gun that, like, covers his face. It's a, it, That'll be on the Instagram for sure. It's a very cool, yeah, it's a good very cool little te- piece of tech that I've never seen in a sci-fi show before. It's clearly a way of disarming someone but not killing them. Yeah, but that sets up some stakes for the episode. That's why they're inter- interrogating this guy and beating him because they need to find a location of this cop who's been kidnapped. And now that this criminal apparently wants to get away from the syndicate he gives up the address this cost being held at and they agree to transfer him into protective custody right so then that sets them sets up them going to this location to try to essentially do a big raid um and find find i guess they're they're looking for the rest of the the people right yeah they're basically trying to rescue this cop and they figure this guy's given up the location where these uh truck robbers and the cop have ended up except it was all a setup because the thief who gave the gave up all the information he really was never on their side. As he's being sort of transported into protective custody, he he tells he tells the people transporting him he has to run to the bathroom real quick. Yeah, and he, what is he? Is it like a bomb he barfs up? What is that? 
he he pukes he starts puking in the bathroom and pulls a string out of his throat and like kind of pulls up just like a really tiny button size flashing light which will be part of a, a a larger plan later but he connects it to the back of a toilet in the in the police bathroom at the precinct letting us know that he's up to more than it appears and as they do this raid to save this cop the syndicate also basically attacks his armored vehicle, like the protective custody transit he's in, and they basically break him out. And he was never intending to go into protective custody. This was all basically a long scheme to get him inside the police station and to feed the police this information about where this cop is. So they go into uh, this place. It's clearly a trap. There's a bunch of like digital uh, laser uh, tripwires, and uh, they find the cop, and but he's in a, like, it looks like a fish tank. He's in a clear plastic box. It kind of looked like a magician's trick or something. Like it yeah. looked like something you'd throw a, a blanket over and then you'd pull it and he'd have disappeared from the inside of it. And they do not save him in time. No. Well, that's it. Once the guy's broken up by the syndicate, it wasn't, they think it's a bomb with a tripwire, but really it's just a distraction. As soon as they find him, it gets triggered and his whole box fills up with uh, gas. Yeah, and he melts. His face starts to melt. Yeah, I like that too. I thought it was good. And also I like that they didn't save the guy. Yeah, it was it's all a setup. Like it's kind of nice is because because it's a pilot and they don't want to spend too much time on the plot. There's not detective work to be done. They're basically being sent where they need to go by the syndicate because it's all a setup by them. Like so there's really all the detective work is not detective work. It's a, it's it's a plot that's being executed upon them. Right. And it's kind of nice the whole the whole tank fills up with uh, air and his face slaps against the side and it's all melted. I think you can put this up on the Tech War scoreboard though. Do you remember a tech war episode where a man was in a box that filled up with poisonous gas and his face slapped against the side of the window? I think you're I think you're stretching, but it is a actual very similar visual shot of guy going. Ugh. Although this guy doesn't hilariously put his tongue out like that uh, that tech lord did. No, it's it's all of it's like a much better executed tech war though. That's really what this show is. It's a much much be- better executed tech war. Essentially, what they find out is this gas that filled the tank to kill this cop is the programmable DNA. What we learn is, I guess, all cops in the future are given a, an inoculation against, I guess, basically all diseases, anything that might be used as a biological warfare against them. And they're able to figure this out because as they're printing the dead cop out, they know they need to run a talk screen on him to find out what happened to him in there. And these Android partners are very useful. I, I actually thought it was a fun little, I don't know if it was an intentional jab at a lot of these procedural shows, but... They're like, oh, we need to take, um, get a, a sample and do some, run some tests and we'll have to bring it back to the, the lab. And then Dorian's like, no, you don't. And he just takes a needle, injects it in the guy's neck, pulls out, I guess, some, you know, DNA, some blood or whatever, and then injects it into his own neck. And he's like, analysis done. And I was like, well, that's great. It was a real time saver. And I thought, I'm also, I've, I've never seen a robot do that. Yeah, it's very convenient for sure for them to like have him be a, like a mobile like CSI unit. But it's a very cool shot. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it, it looks cool, and it also takes out those, uh, uh, I guess, really necessary scenes in TV shows where they go back to the lab and they talk about things for a while. Like it's like we're not going to be doing that. He can just he can just do it on the road. Also, what a cool, great, gross shot of uh, a person injecting a bloody needle into their own neck. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But essentially, what they find out is what was in the blood of this dead detective is the pro- reprogrammable DNA. Essentially, the syndicate has taken it. And you'll have to correct me if I misunderstood this. This is the best I can understand it. Is they've taken this programmable DNA and they've created a, not a virus exactly, but something that sets off the inoculation in the cops that basically inoculates them from all possible bio attacks. And essentially their body starts 
thinking they're under attack from like thousands of diseases and essentially that's what's melting their faces is it's just their immune system going insane oh see you're probably right what i thought it was was they had created some sort of virus that adjusts to each host dna so like no matter what your dna is it can adjust to that and modify itself to still attack you that's what i thought it was but i think you're actually right well they say it's only a weapon to be used against cops and it's related to the fact they're inoculated against all these like biohazards so i I think that's what it was going for i i maybe i just got lost in all the jargon of it but that was my my read of what was happening essentially what they kind of discover is this dead cop had been working on a case file that's now deleted from the database of the precinct. So they have an idea that the syndicate wants something to do with this cop and it has to do with this missing case file now. And it kind of leaves them at a dead end, though. They're no closer to where they're going to go. And it allows the plot to spin off very briefly. And I think I might have just missed this somehow. And maybe you can explain it to me, Jordan. But Kenix takes a break and goes to revisit the recollectionist. He goes back into sort of this... It's, it's like another dentist chair you get into where yeah. images pop up around you and you kind of get to see like your future on screens around you or your future, your past, like your memories projected for you. And it's in this time when he goes back, he gets pushed a little further into it and he sees his ex-girlfriend, Anna, was part of this team that killed him during the or tried to kill him during the raid. But at the end of that sequence, it seemed like Dorian busted it and saved him. Yeah. What what I I kind of missed that. Like what was Dorian saving him from? Did something go wrong with the recollectionist? No, what what they implied earlier on in the show was that this is a procedure that's very dangerous because it will wreck your brain. That's why it's on the black market and it's not medically sanctioned. So every time he does this, there's a chance that he might kill himself or at least give himself brain damage. And it looks like he's having like a small seizure or something, and then Dorian's pulling him out of it and saving him before he ends up with brain damage. Oh, I see. I was like, what happened to the doctor? Did he just walk out of the room or something? Yeah, he went and got a coffee. Ah, that's why Dorian had to save him. Yeah, yeah. No, the reason Dorian has to save him is because he needs to see that this partner is useful and that maybe he was treating him a little too roughly to begin with. Well, that's what that scene does. Other than reveal the, like, series arcing plot of this ex-girlfriend, it essentially makes them pals. Basically, they go out for dinner. Dorian gives him uh, some cool information about his robotic leg. Apparently, if he rubs some olive oil on it, it'll start working a bit better. Yeah, that's really weird, but who would have thought that? Good good tip. Here's what I imagined it meant is on his stump, the robot leg connects to his nerve endings and there's just like, it's not connective enough. So if you put like olive oil on the joint where you connect them, it just like helps the electric signals go better. I just thought it helps the irritation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyways, well, hopefully we'll find out more about this olive oil. I think we'll never hear about it again. No, probably not. <laughs> and, you know... Well, they're having this like heart to heart where they're kind of becoming actual partners. Kenix has this idea that the cop who was kidnapped and later killed, his MX unit was shot when he was kidnapped. And maybe if he takes Dorian and Dorian plugs into that MX's memories, they'll be able to dig up some more information about what happened to him and maybe get a get a clue as to what's going to happen next with this syndicate attack. Uh, what happens is basically they, they drag Dorian back to rudy's lab the tech support guy's lab and they plug into the disabled uh, mx unit and sort of watch a video feed of his memories we'd already seen this video feed earlier in the show where we kind of got an idea of like when he was kidnapped and like these guys took him but there were no clues in that original video feed but for some reason if dorian plugs into them we dorian's able to access like five more seconds of this video memory just because it felt like this whole bit didn't quite connect like it didn't make sense to me why 
Dorian could access the same information but just get a little bit more of it? I didn't even pay attention to that. I thought they just like watched it again and saw something they didn't notice the first time, but maybe you're right. I don't know. Well, they, they made a big deal about how his synthetic soul allows him to have intuition and because he's a robot, he's able to like see stuff the see stuff within the you know matrix or within the computer minds of these of these MX units. But because the MX units have no emotion, they can't make inferences in the same way. So somehow him looking at it would give us more information that a human or an MX couldn't get. It just did seem like what he was getting was like five more seconds of video footage, and I just didn't fully understand how that was something only Dorian could do. I think you're right though; it's mostly just a plot hole. But the point is that uh, it kind of puts things in motion. And is this where we, we kind of find that uh, what they really are, they, they know that the, the bad guys, the syndicate, they're just really looking for something in the evidence room. Yeah, that extra five seconds of video just has the bad guy from the syndicate who kidnapped this cop literally saying out loud, it's like, hey, we need to get into the evidence room to find a piece of evidence. Like they now know, hey, the syndicate's coming to the police precinct to get something. Yeah. And the information is actually too late because what's happened is the syndicate is at the police precinct. They set off uh, like an electrical pulse bomb, which is partly involves the like weird bomb. The guy stuck to the back of the toilet earlier in the episode. And the pulse bomb basically fries all the MX units in the precinct. But it does not fry Dorian because he runs on a different frequency, of course. I thought that was very funny for them to mention because I would have bought that he was off site and it didn't affect him. But yeah, they had to throw in that extra line of dialogue as like to answer a criticism that wasn't there of like, oh, well, he runs on a different frequency. I was like, that actually raises more questions for me than just having. Yeah, like you saying, just having. Oh, he wasn't in the range of with a pulse. But it's yeah. like he so he runs on a different frequency. Like, wouldn't he have problems with like his operating system working with the rest of the police officers and stuff? But anyways, the point is they're all down you can see that he's a little bit better than all these other robots well and all the computers are down at the precinct too so it, it was odd you're right it was like answering a question that didn't need to ask it but where we were setting up a big shootout the second one of the show yeah it basically is a big action shootout scene not as good as the raid shootout for sure mm-hmm. mostly because there's no idea of geography and like what's happening like essentially the all the police including the captain are like rushing to the evidence room to stop them there's a big shootout they're killing syndicates left and right i guess the leader of this syndicate heist they set up this programmable dna aerosol that's going to melt your face with this cop and like this is going to be the big threat to the human officers but essentially only one guy has a canister of it he sprays it in the face of one cop who melts and then he's immediately shot so all this work to set up this cool like biotech terrorism like attack weapon and it really doesn't get used at all yeah he's take it's taken out of play within three seconds of this shootout starting and the heist is kind of stopped very quickly like the cops just overwhelmed them and it didn't seem like the heist was well planned they were easily stopped their setup was real good their execution was pretty poor I'll forgive it, but it, it was odd to have the big climax be so like quick and like abruptly stop like it's like oh they're attacking the police force are they gonna get the evidence? No, no, don't worry about it. They're overwhelmed. Well, what I think this is, and it's actually something I just read this morning before we started recording, is that this episode had a different ending shot um, from uh, not what was ever aired. What This was what was aired. But when they originally sent out the pilot to, uh, you know, different, you know, publications for reviews and sort of things, uh, this apparently had, this ending wasn't the ending. And what they had done was they set up, I don't know what it was, but all I saw was, a few different people had said it was some sort of ridiculous lost-esque sort of uh, setup. So I think what you're seeing here is a retool and they went, there's not much time left. 
uh, quick, we're just like, uh, uh, scramble everything together that we talked about, and then at the end of the episode. That's why it feels a little bit disjointed. Well, that's it. Essentially, what we have now is a bit of an episode epilogue after they stop the syndicate is, um, they still don't know what the evidence they were after, but we get a cutaway to uh, an android syn- synthetic woman in a container in the evidence room, which is, I think, our audience clue that this is what they were after, even though the police don't know yet. Kenix chooses to delete a video message he's been carrying around from his ex-girlfriend, Anna, as sort of a way of, I guess, he he's accepting that she's a bad guy now. I like that it's not going to be a thing where it's like a space of Bumbion and he's going to be pining for his girlfriend for 20 episodes. Well, that's true. That is that is a pleasant thing. And then this is, you mentioned this earlier, but Captain Maldonado reveals that after, after Lennox killed his last partner, she arranged it so he'd be set up with his new partner, Dorian, because she feels they're both special and they could get along together. Yeah, but do, does that work though? Like that seems like, I'm like, he just went and randomly picked the guy. Uh, so No, I don't know, no, it does work because they set up it? that for some reason there are no other units available and he could only oh. have this one. He didn't choose that officer. He got stuck with him. Um, uh. And what we're seeing, I think, in this is like the idea that maybe in that earlier Lost version, there was going to be more mystery about how they got put together. And maybe they solved that by just saying, yeah, I'm your friend and I knew what you needed was a partner who wasn't an android, but something with a little more emotion. So I set you up together with this right. officer. I didn't mind it. I think it closed. A, it tied a lot of loose ends that I didn't want to keep following if, if the plot was going to go on with it. So, I mean, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but that sort of sets us up for what the series is going to be. And that's it. And then they kind of have a shot of the city and they pull out and that's your pilot episode. We'll get into episode two or episode eight, depending on what you call it next. But um, one thing I read, too, was after the pilot was shot, and maybe this has to do with the retooling, they brought in a series co-lead with the two, someone to co-run the show with him. And I think the guy had co-run CSIs before. Hmm. And he'll actually be let go from the series before the end of the series. So he's only in it after the pilot and for the first few episodes, apparently. Really? And I think what we'll see in this next episode is they clearly brought in a co-showrunner from a like crime show, like a CSI, because this next episode becomes much more crime of the week. Yeah. So you can, I think what we're going to see going forward is whatever they retool is they realize the show maybe works a bit better when it focuses on just like a crime mm. and definitely what the network must have wanted was it to be crime of the week shows because that's maybe why they reordered the whole thing and like sort of threw the continuity out the window right um because this episode let's get into it is is very crime of the week all right what's the uh what's the synopsis so here's the episode summary for episode eight or two depending how you want to look at it you are here let me get this straight you're suggesting that a single bullet came through the skylight, ricocheted and bounced its way through the subway, and then just miraculously hit a man square in the chest, who was, according to witnesses, running, screaming, they're going to kill me. While the likelihood seems improbable, there is a 0.004% chance that a shooter, firing with this morning's 5 miles per hour northwesterly winds, would release a bullet that would only increase speed until hitting the skylight, where the trajectory would change nominally and the bullet would increase velocity due to air conditioning within the station. A temporary deformation coupled with inertia and the molecular structure of the wall, the cello, and the floor would inevitably allow for a fatal impact. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Detective Kennex and Dorian have to deal a mysterious murder case. The victim is murdered mysteriously by a new technically innovative bullet. That summary was courtesy of Chenna Krishna. I think uh, that's pretty accurate there, Kenna. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a little a little standalone mystery about a magic bullet. Yeah, 
this episode starts with uh, we get to see what the opening credits are. Yeah, I mean, it's very much in the vein of uh, a science fiction TV recap. So the broadcast network knows people won't be confused. It's a real like recap of like, here's what it is. Here's what's happening. Of what the show here's is. Here's who our time. players are. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of that one episode of Space One Beyond where they did that too. Where it was like, here's a quick explanation for what you're watching. Yeah, exactly. Please don't turn it off. Oh, and can I mention one thing um, we haven't talked about? I, I, I like these shows. I think it's a pretty good science fiction show. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching future episodes. One thing that I hate is the music. I hate the music in this show. I find it so, oh, I find it so annoying. And every time it's just like this bombastic, like crappy, synthy dance rave crap. I hate it so much. It takes me out of the show every time they do it. I I honestly, I'm I'm going to the point where I'm like muting it when I see there's going to be scenes where they're like, I hate it. I honestly don't have a problem with the music. I actually thought it was kind of cool that the Crystal Method did all the uh, music for the show. Yeah, maybe it is. I have to look up this band and make sure never to listen to their music. Sorry, Crystal Method. Yeah, this is a band that this is what they do. So I, I thought maybe not something I'd listen to in my regular day-to-day life, but I, I thought it was interesting that they went out of their way to pick a very distinctive musical act to do their composition. But Yeah, I really wish this this would be a little bit more, I don't know, like just folk music. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> just some some light, airy guitar. Just a jangly guitar playing over things. Anyways, I just, for, for whatever reason, it annoys me. And I, I just, I mention this now because <laughs> I, I just know that it's going to just keep annoying me. So I'm going to keep mentioning it. So I'm just throwing it out now. It's starting to irritate me. Not to your taste. Not to my taste. The episode starts with a man named Anton. And he's he's running through his life from through the city, screaming about how someone's trying to kill him. And what we see is as he runs through this train station... A bullet does an impossible shot. It like shoots through a glass window and then through someone's cool future newspaper and then bounces off the ground and then smashes him in the chest. And we kind of see fairly obviously that a magic bullet has taken him out. And that's going to be our case of the week. Yeah. And you're right. This is a very much like one of those CSI type shows of like a real quick kind of cold open. Someone's killed. How did it happen? Stay tuned. You'll find out. Yeah, exactly. After a, there's a very brief interlude here where we get to see Kenix go to a anger management class that's played for laughs, and I didn't care for any of this scene at all. This show has, it really plays on the line of some things that could be taken as a little bit distasteful and maybe just taken as little, a little bit like a little dark humor. I, I had a feeling that this is what's going to happen is that you and I are going to disagree on some. I know it's playing for laughs. It's a little bit insensitive, but I thought it was I thought it was kind of cute. I thought it was it, it had its moments. I did like that the group was called It Could Be Worse. That amused me. I don't think it couldn't have worked. I just don't think it did. I think tonally it was just a little off because I think Kenix is supposed to be our a little bit cynical like lead. So for him to not love an anger management class and be a little cynical about it and maybe make some jokes is okay. But like all the characters at this meeting are all one-note jokes. Like, the woman leading it doesn't appear to understand that nobody likes her. Like, she's, right. like, relentlessly positive, and the guy she's talking to is telling her how he wants to basically murder her. There's an undercurrent of, like, therapy's dumb, and let's make fun of it. It's just such a stupid joke for 2014. Right. Well, fair enough. And then the joke, the whole the whole nonstop joke factory of the sequence ends with Kenix accusing a guy in the thing of fucking a dog. Oh, I missed that. It's disgusting. I don't even remember that. He, I think he tells the guy he should kill himself because he got a divorce 
and he should put down his dog and not take out the peanut butter anymore. Oh, I, I missed that entirely. I must have been writing something down. It was fucking disgusting. I hate it. Like, I had to block out that scene <laughs> out of my mind. I'm like, this is, like, awful. This is awful, and this show sucks if this is what this show's Well, I forgot that scene, so there you go. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really didn't like it. Thankfully, the rest of the episode feels nothing like this opening scene like i don't know what this opening scene was i think it's, it's supposed to be a little bit of character development from john that he's just uh uh he's supposed to be dealing with his anger issues and he's not that's basically what it is i guess so I, and that would i don't know it didn't work for me i really was bothered by this weird opening scene well anyways it gets us into a real uh quick scene where he's now on the case and uh they're trying to figure out what happened to this guy and there's basically like the robot there has basically a jfk theory as to that the bullet went through a bunch of people yeah detective grumpy detective paul's there with his mx unit and so is canix and dorian the their mx does some good detective work actually and yeah he's like it's a bit of a magic bullet theory he's like gonna bounce off all these things and kill this guy it's a one in a million shot but maybe this like assassin was such a good shot he he did that of course dorian is a slightly better robot detective though because he looks at the bullet and discovers a like there's a like electronics and a power supply in it yeah, which you would assume you would have looked at, but, you know, he's just a better detective. He's just a better detective. And he basically pieces together, it's like, it's not that it was a ricochet, it's it's a remote control bolt that was used. Yeah. There is a really weird, and this is actually a funnier moment in the show, as far as I'm concerned, is the MX unit seems, like, put out that Dorian, the DRN series, has, a, has another theory. So he keeps nattering on that... Uh, you shouldn't listen to Dorian. Dorian doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm a better I'm a better detective robot. And he just won't stop talking. So what does Kenix do? He just sticks his hand on his mouth and just like and then for the rest of the scene he just has his hand on the robot's mouth. But I like because the robot doesn't react. Like he just stands there with the hand on his mouth. It, it, it was it was a cute scene. Whoa. It's it's funny. That's not what I was referring to. Oh really? To, oh that's what you remember though. That's what I remember. What I what I remember of it is the robot won't stop nattering, and you're right, he does cover his mouth at some point. But the robot still doesn't stop nattering. So Kenix pulls out his gun and blows the robot's face off. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he does do that at the end of the scene. Which is, <laughs> which is, uh, it's, it's the second robot he's destroyed. And I like, they're like, even if they're, they're, that's allowed, which I don't think it is. And I think they mention it later on. Um, he's really wasting a lot of money for this police department. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, who pays for these robots he destroys? Does that come out of his salary? It doesn't seem like he cares if that's the case. They don't seem like they're that inexpensive, these robots. They must be, like, pretty pricey to replace. Well, he does refer to them as a toaster, which is, like, it's got to be at least the third science fiction show where I've heard people refer to robots as toasters. I don't know why that's the go-to for writers. Like, he's just a toaster. I was like, as if that's the, why that's always the analogy, I don't know. But anyway. Well, it was funny because that's what happens is he's explaining why he quite graphically blew this robot's face off in public. And he's just like, if my toaster were burning my toast at home, I, I would do something similar. I'm just like, you would shoot your toaster if it was burning your toast. Well, yeah, because his anger management classes aren't working. I guess so. His, his anger is out of control. But basically, he's supposed to get reamed out by his boss, but he's kind of too damn charming. So uh, he kind of just smugs his way through it. And while that's happening, his partner is actually doing real police work. Yeah. So what they find out is this dead victim, Anton, he had a girlfriend and they both worked in a place called Trope Software. Good, good company name, by the way. Yeah. Essentially, what they find out is Anton, for this company, made face tracking software so that, I guess, in the future, you can get pop-up ads everywhere you go. Yeah. The, you know what? I'll, uh, every time they started going into the details of this, I just 
my eyes just glossed over because I was like, uh, okay. They get they kept getting a little too into all the the details. I was like, just get into the plot, guys. It's a pretty it's it's a pretty good idea. It's essentially, since there's cameras everywhere in the future, and screens can pop up anywhere, this company basically makes it so that corporation can find your face and then put an ad up in front of you to tell you, hey, whiten your teeth. You need it. Yeah. But they don't know what this has to do with the bullets other than, obviously, whoever's using the remote-controlled units is using a similar face tracking. So the girlfriend kind of tells them that he had met with, uh, Anton had met with a recruiter for a new job, and they're sort of like, "Mm, I bet this recruiter's some sort of uh, bad guy who's uh, teamed up with this programmer to create a, you know, remote-controlled bullet that, like, can suss you out and kill you anywhere, and now that's why they had to kill him because he knew too much now i'm gonna say something i i actually quite dislike this actress i just thought she was bad and maybe maybe you don't feel the same way but every scene she was in i was like let's just get through this because i just thought she was awful uh i mean we'll get into it but um kira the the girlfriend of dead anton is uh given a pretty thankless role especially because she saddled like Half with the episode should be like, oh, and by the way, I have a daughter we need to protect too. And like, they're just constantly like giving her things to say and she won't listen to reason for some reason. I, I She's annoying. It's di- it's a difficult character. I, I can see why you'd be annoyed. Essentially, what we come to learn is that the, uh, the bullet they found traced back to a Russian manufacturer. It was stolen from uh, the Ukraine by a arms dealer group called Revolution Now. Yeah. Good name for a uh, arms dealer, I think. Yeah, I liked it too. I wrote it down too. <laughs> and we get a quick cutaway to these arms dealers and they're they're showing an infomercial which is cut out of this guy being murdered by a remote control bullet to a potential buyer. They're using real-time essentially documentary footage to sell their stuff. I do have one point though. One of the uh, arms dealers has a either a fake beard or a really bad beard. What was it? Oh, I didn't even notice. No, I think it just, I was like, what is this beard? Anyways, I'm, I'm clearly not paying attention to the plot as much as uh, pe- people's faces. I'll be honest. The things you notice are very different than the ones I do. Like you always pick up on the music and the lighting. And even with this beard thing, I didn't notice in Vladislav, or sorry, in Galactica 1980 that Adama had a fake beard. I had no idea. Well, that's you know, different strokes, you know? I'm, I'm able to just like phase those things out. <laughs> Yeah, either, well, that's, that's good for you. You're able to find, and, and I, I do the same thing when they start doing this techno babble, and it's like, he was an elder gamer. I was like, what nonsense is this? I don't care. Is that oh, a yeah. figured? That's uh, very funny. I caught that too because uh, I, I didn't write it down, but it's basically a World of Warcraft joke. I was just like, oh, that's weird. That's a weird little touchstone. Anyways, it was there was a couple little things like that. So basically saying he's in a clan. Like the only thing he really does is play in this clan in this multiplayer game online. <laughs> Never comes right. up again. It was just like a weird throwaway Warcraft joke. Right. But these arms dealers are showing off their new weapon. This buyer's like, all right, but I want to see a real life test. They're like, all right, well, we were going to kill Kira anyway to tie up all these loose ends. So let's just shoot a magic bullet at her and kill her and, you know, sell this weapon. It, well, we, we cut back at this point to... I can't. What's her, what's her name? The the doctor or uh, detective Stahl. Detective Stahl. Uh, here's what I didn't understand. So her job is. I mean, the role and the job seems rather thankless. It's it's a lot of her looking up stuff on the computer. But if a Dorian can just do stuff in his head on the field, doesn't that mean her job's kind of useless? Like, can he just look up stuff himself? He's connected to the software. He's connected to the police department and their records. And it's like, what is she looking up? Why doesn't he just do himself? You know, it is a good question. I mean, why? Uh, what she's doing is mostly research. Why couldn't Dorian be doing it since he clearly has that ability? I don't know. I mean, it's to give her something to do, I guess. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like they have the character, but I'm like, I don't know if you guys thought out a reason for this character very well. 
Well, they mostly need her to be a love interest. Right. Well, there we are. There's actually a brief scene here that ties into this first episode. Now, keep in mind what we're watching to us is the second episode, but in the run of this series is like in the last half of this series. There's a scene here where Captain Maldonado gets the criminal from the syndicate who just raided the police station the day before, tries to basically offer him a deal to reveal both the location of uh, Kenix's ex-girlfriend and the piece of evidence they're trying to find in this room. He doesn't go for it, but it kind of keeps this thread going that they're trying to figure out what the syndicate wants from the police evidence department before they get in there and actually get it so they can figure out kind of what the crime is or who maybe the mole is or they're tying together this like series arc in this little scene it doesn't really tie into the whole episode but there's like a two minutes here where they kind of dig back into this mystery right um and let me just throw in one real quick thing they do cut uh shortly to the uh the girlfriend who i don't think is a very good actress at a food truck did you see what the food truck was called no miso bites what do you think those are that's a good question. Little little freeze dried miso soups. Yeah, that's what I thought. Anyways, that's again maybe it's just something I just noticed. I wonder if you noticed this because then this brief cut to the evidence room that like kind of ties into the series plot. Did you notice the segways they're riding? I did. I loved it. Well, you know what? That's a, it, it. We should mention the evidence room is like monumentally large. Like it's it's from uh, it, like uh, an Indiana Jones movie, basically. Yeah, it's like that, but like. They've made it, like, even bigger. So it's just uh, wall-to-wall shelves that are futuristic but really tall. And so, yeah, people are going around in segways. I was like, yeah, I like that. It doesn't lead much to the plot, but it's actually a fun, like, future containment room. It's like, oh, look at them all in their lab coats and their segways. Mm-hmm. But, yes, getting back to the plot of the episode, Kira, this woman whose boyfriend is dead, is at this food truck getting some food. They show up to ask her a few more questions. And as they're doing this... Uh, the arms dealers are firing their remote control bullet to kill her. Thankfully, Dorian, I guess he picks up on the sound of the bullet like flying toward them. We got some yeah. great POV shots of the bullet flying through the air. Yeah. And he essentially steps in front of the bullet and takes it for her so she doesn't get killed. Yeah, he gets shot right in the gut. Right in the gut. And it uh, kind of messes up his programming a little. He's clearly has some sort of issues now with uh, his robotic synapses firing. And uh, for some reason, he only can speak Korean now. Yeah, he can only speak Korean now. And uh, the actor does a good job speaking Korean for a a large section of this episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was the one thing. I was like, that's fun. And then it goes on for at least three or four scenes where he only speaks Korean. I'm like, guys, we get it. Let's Let's just put it back to English. But basically, they know Kira's under threat from these arms dealers now. They decide to move her to a safe house. They go get her daughter, who is only introduced suddenly now and has no real plot. For no reason. Essentially, I think why they bring the daughter in is Kira basically brings up this idea which what she wants to do about this problem is she's going to go visit a scrubber which seems similar to a recollectionist because they use the same equipment but essentially yeah. a scrubber will scrub a part of your brain out so you won't know something anymore the, yeah what did you think of her her idea so basically what she's thinking is i don't know why they want to kill me it's clearly something to do with my boyfriend who was also killed so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go erase my memory of him right mm-hmm. uh, and, and our, our association so that they'll see this and they'll know there's nothing to worry about anymore and they'll leave me alone i was like i don't know that seems like a couple steps there you need to count on on their reaction as well i mean that's one of the bigger problems with this character is like it's such a logical leap to be like if i scrub my memories then i know they won't want to kill me anymore it's like but you should probably ask them like there's no reason to think that would be the case especially since they seem to want to kill you so badly there's no reason to think that just because you've scrubbed your memory they're gonna be like okay like they might just go okay good for you we're gonna kill you anyways just be safe I mean, this is maybe something we don't need to harp on too much, but 
this is one of the things that don't make a lot of sense. She actually doesn't know anything about Anton and his dealings with these arms dealers. She like her character knows nothing. The arms dealers want to tie her up as a loose end, but it's not clear why because she doesn't know anything about them. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a big question like they really are putting a lot of effort into killing her, but she doesn't know anything. Like it, it doesn't really connect for me, and it never will connect by the end of it. Like what the reason to kill her is. Well, all they needed was that she had seen something or she actually knew more than she said, but they just, they really wanted to be an innocent. But yeah, you're right. It's like, as a viewer at the end, you're like, so all that was for nothing. Yeah. It really didn't tie together. Like it's one of the, maybe these struggles of this particular plot is like, why is it happening? It's just because. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter though. Essentially they take a quick pit stop when, uh, when she's in the safe house, cause they need to go visit Rudy at the police tech support. So uh, they can fix Dorian's language settings. Mm-hmm. which they do thankfully there's a, there's a bit of a talk here about what they're going to do next and kendrick's kind of wants to use kira to to lure out the gun runners by like putting her face in front of a camera or something talks about going undercover and there's there's another weird little cutaway here to like an off-color joke where rudy hears they want to go undercover and he's just like hey can i can i lend you a hand going undercover do you need to deal with any sex bots here's what's weird about that luke so as i mentioned before because we're doing this in now the intended order, not the airing order. The episode that aired second is a sex bot episode, which is weird that it was their second episode, but they keep making those jokes with him in that episode. And it's that same sort of thing like, oh, uh, it's not that I use sex robots, or, but it was weird that that's a thread that apparently will be brought back in the they show. They really wanted to thread this idea early. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what I mean. So it's like, I saw that and I was like, are you guys kidding me? So like, yeah, you thread this idea in episode two that, you, you guys, isn't it funny he might use sex robots? Like, it's like, tonally the show has these weird sort of, kind of, I think they're going for a little bit of a dark humor, but sometimes it just comes across a little bit gross, you know, a little juvenile. That's what it is, is when they go for a piece of humor, it feels more edgelord than it does feel like earned. Right. Right. I'm not loving this part of it. I'm hoping it'll even out because most of the episodes don't do that. It's They pop up so infrequently that they stand out like sore thumbs. Right. Anyway, what they find out is uh, Detective Stahl gives them a call while they're here to, to let them know that she's found out that Anton had a safety deposit box, which they figure will be full of gunrunner money for building this thing. Yeah. But when they get there, what they find is Anton was just getting threats from the gunrunners, forcing him basically to make this this program that will make a remote control bullet because there's if they didn't or if he didn't do it for them, these dr- gunrunners were going to kill Kira and her daughter, basically. So he's innocent. He wasn't like a bad guy all along. Turns out he was just another person being blackmailed. Just felt like they were like, oh, go, don't worry, guys. He was a good guy. And I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I mean, in the this relates in this lockbox is a torn up piece of paper with numbers. And I only mention it now because this torn up piece of paper with numbers is, you know, a bit of a red herring. They're like, oh, maybe it's a bank code or something. We'll get back to it at the end of the episode. But they drop this red herring, which I think is that the thread of why we should care that Anton was blackmailed and not a criminal. But we'll come back to it at the end because we're getting basically into the finale of the film or the film, the finale of the episode here. Essentially, they left Kira at the safe house. She's still pretty sure if she scrubs her brain, Mm -hmm. they'll leave her alone. So she just runs away from the safe house. And they didn't leave, I guess, any police protection to stop her. They're like, uh, she's gone. That's it. She goes to a scrubber, which is basically the same as Recollections. It's the same setup where they scrub your memories so you don't have to think about something. It's in another, like, dark alley, underground kind of... On the little toggle, on the little memory toggle, you just toggle it down as opposed to up. That's the difference. 
<laughs> and there's just basically a race to get to Kira. There's a shootout, much like the end of the last episode, kind of a, a very well-shot shootout, but not particularly, like, engaging. The Russians, I, we're going to call them Russians, the arms dealers, they essentially have these magic bullets, and they don't really use them, and they get just taken out, like, immediately, like, the cops just take them out really quickly. Well, they don't even have henchmen. Like, basically, the two arms dealers show up to, like, kill her themselves. And, the, I mean, the best part of it is we get to see Dorian basically run at them, and he takes, like, 75 shots to the chest. Yeah. I mean, these robots are super effective. Like, they just, like, are just taking bullets, mm-hmm. and they just keep going. But, yeah, they they get killed or arrested. They save Kira. The crime is solved, and that kind of, like, wraps up the plot. But to your point about this idea of, like, why do we care Anton's not a bad guy— Really what this plot seems to be more about is an emotional plot because we get a basically a epilogue where Kenix tells Kira that Anton was being extorted. She says how glad she is she didn't scrub him from her mind because she cares so much about the relationship. And she tells him a story about the torn up numbers on the paper, which is when they first met, he wrote her he wrote his phone number down for her, which is such a like a in the future, weird thing to do. No one uses pens anymore. I know. I thought that was a little bit like far-fetched. Like, guys, I guarantee you in 2048, we'll still be using pens. But anyway. And she tore up his phone number and he said he was going to hang on to the numbers to show so that when he eventually won her over, it would be like a funny thing for them. And she reveals that like over these years, they've written notes to each other with pens because it's such a, they're such a cute couple who uses a pen and writes notes. And to thank him for all his help, she gives Lennox, or sorry, Kenix her pen that she mm-hmm. used and he's like whoa a pen amazing everyone's blown away by this pen and detective stall comes by and and gives and like they have a little cute moment together and what we we get the idea that kenix also writes his phone number down like we don't see what he writes but he writes something on a piece of paper and gives it to her and she's like so smitten by the gesture mm-hmm. it does feel like a lot this whole plot was to tell the emotional story of like this couple and they're like they're meet cute so that they could use that same meet cute between Kenix and Detective Stall. Well, and and really, as a character, he has stolen some of the. He's like, that was cute. That really worked. I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna want to talk very briefly about Detective Stall and Kenix and this like romance they're building between them, because I think what we're seeing here is a problem that kind of this post golden era television, this like era of television we're living in right now, has is that these shows these days are all serialized, so there's a lot of plot mechanics they need to get through. And often one of those plot mechanics is they need to establish a relationship, a romantic interest, so they can later subvert that as a big reveal or a big character turn for a character. Right. But it doesn't really work, and I think this is a prime example of it, is because they're racing through to set up this relationship between these two characters. They need to set up that there's some feelings between them. And my assumption is so that later in the series something bad will happen and it'll be an emotionally satisfied like it'll be an emotional turn for Kenix. Yeah, I'm, I I assume she's either going to die or be kidnapped or something and he's going to have to admit his feelings and it's going to change the way he sees things. I th- I thought the same thing. She she basically is uh like a pawn character. Like there's so far there's been nothing they've done with her and I don't know if that's going to change. We see the same thing in the new Star Trek Star Trek Discovery. They set up a romantic interest between the two between two leads just so they can subvert it later but i think the problem with this kind of storytelling like, i actually think serialized storytelling works really well as far as like getting plot mechanics going and you you move quickly through ideas so that like the plot moves at a, a, a good clip i think it doesn't work though for these romantic sections 
mostly because you can't tell if these two characters or these two actors are going to have much chemistry Yeah. when you write it, but you need to make it happen so quickly that when it executes, there's just no chemistry between Carl Urban and this actress. So it's, it's hard to buy. Really, the idea is they're both the most attractive people on the show. So you as a viewer are expected to assume they're going to hook up at some point just just because they're both the most attractive people yeah and i think it's because of this realized storytelling they're they're racing to make this happen so they can have it meet so that a plot mechanic later in the series will like be affected by it it just doesn't work like uh, using another modern series i i don't think you've ever watched brooklyn 99 no but early in that show in the first like season or something there was this kind of like unrequited love sort of set up between two of the characters but what you saw in that season was like the chemistry wasn't really there. So the writers smartly abandoned it and like moved on. They kind of like left it to the side. But because a show like this that is going to rely on a, on a core serialized idea through the like center running of it needs this relationship to work. They just don't have time to like sit and see if like it actually is going to work. Right. They're, they're really forcing a, a love interest to happen with a character who just came out of a coma. His girlfriend betrayed him. It's like it's hard to believe he would really want to start something with someone and it will be interesting to see if it even is made worse or oddly made better by the way they aired these because as we said there's some light serialization happening here and to put those in different order when you're uh you know you're worrying about relationships between john and dorian and john and i'm sorry i can never remember her name uh detective stall detective stall and even uh, the other guy who's kind of grumpy and all that. If 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 you're having to get through those really quickly, these relationships, so we know how characters are going to react to one another, and you're jumbling them up, I, I can only imagine it's going to make for a bit of a uh, odd odd viewing. Yeah, it, it it's it's odd because really the only chemistry that's really clicking right now is between the two partners, and it's kind of what we want to focus on. Yeah. So to like have these minor relationships be sped through when they're not clicking, like we're not seeing chemistry, it, it's just I, I think it's going to be a problem. Well, on that note, do you, wh- why don't we rate these two episodes? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think they both had some really good action. Like, it's well-shot action. It's very exciting. It's pretty kinetic. The episodes go by very quickly as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the plotting so-so, but it moves so quickly that you don't really have time to, like, think about it, which is probably an advantage. So, I don't know. I think for the pilot, I would I would give that a—I think that's a 7. I think that's a solid start to a series. I wrote the exact same thing. I would give it a 7. And I, I don't I think I'm being pretty forgiving as a pilot. I feel the same thing. I liked it. I thought it was an enjoyable, uh, quick science fiction hour. I did write that what I'm what I think might happen in this show is it feels a little bit like a greatest hits album of a band where you know all the songs, but it doesn't necessarily make for a great album. If that's a, a, an analogy I can use, where it's it's got all the elements of stuff that you like, but they might not quite jive together. Right, right, right. I, I'll be curious. I Even watching these first two episodes, there's some clear missteps where the show doesn't work in these episodes, whether it be the humor, whether it be some of the relationship building. And I'll see if those compound as it goes on or if they catch it early and start like fixing it. So what do you think for the second one? I'm going to give that a six just because it's still a fun episode, but like the so-so plotting stands out more. It's not a disaster, but there's less for... Kenix and Dorian to do together, which is the strongest part of the show. You know what? I don't think we've uh, we've ever had this before, but I'm not giving you the exact same score, but I'm going to give it a 6.5. I, fe- I felt pretty much the same as you did on all this. 
I think we're on on tune with uh, or in tune together on how this show kind of feels so far. So, mm-hmm. and you're even an episode ahead of me. That this one that's going to come up, it it's I think I liked it less than these two, but maybe I'll feel different because I think this is also a show. And I know we're getting a little long here in the episode, but I think this is a show where the longer you get away from it, we'll feel differently about episodes. Either you're going to go, you know what, I actually like that episode more than when I watched it, or as you think about it more, you're like, you know what, that was kind of dumb, and your feelings would uh, will drop. It just feels like one of those shows. Well, I guess we'll find out as we go through uh, the 13 episodes of Almost Human. If we make it. <laughs> I guess that's true. It could start sucking, and we could just take that escape pod. Yep. All right, Jordan. That about wraps it up, I think. So if you have any thoughts on Almost Human, maybe you watched it. Maybe you have a comments about the order. Maybe you hate that we're going to watch it out of broadcast order. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. You can write us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And, of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at continuumdrag, where we'll definitely have that balloon gun getting shot over that cop's face. Yeah, that was great. Um, so there's some other good stuff in there. We'll probably find some good robot stuff. So many robot faces exploding. So. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, I didn't mention it. We didn't get any little, like, uh, wires and lights and stuff, but it does look good when the robots get their face blown open. You get to see a bit of their, like, skeleton underneath. Yeah, they definitely like to go back to it, too, so it's it's quite pleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And, uh, Jordan, I guess I'll see you next week. I'll see you in 2048. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright.